We've been learning about renewing the mind. And I just felt, as, as the elders were praying over me before the service, I just felt to go back a step, which we haven't really talked about. Jesus teaches a principle in Matthew chapter 13, which is the parable of the sower. He teaches it in, in, in the other Gospels too, but Matthew gives a better, a more full, a fuller account and a little more detail. And the, one of the, the main principle in there is that the, he, it's, a, it's a simple agricultural parable about a sower that's sowing seed, a farmer that sows seed, and, and there's a huge difference in the result. In some cases it never germinates, in other cases it produces a hundredfold return. And Jesus teaches the principle is the same seed. So the same seed has the potential to produce life or change or fruit in every person's life. And that seed, he goes on to explain, is the Word of God. In fact, in Matthew's account, he says, if you understand this parable, then you can understand everything else. But if you don't understand this parable, you're basically going to miss everything else. So this is one of the most important teachings he had. And so the difference between the, 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 the farmer who's crop was nothing and the farmer whose crop was a hundredfold was not the seed, it was what it was sown into. But what we're not going to talk about that tonight, but understand this, that the Word of God is the seed and that seed contains the life of God, the potential of God to produce His life in our life. And we've learned as we started these materials that, that when, when you come to Christ, when you give your life to Christ and invite Him in, that not only does He come in, but He brings God's nature inside of us. All of the kingdom of God is within you. The life of God, the power of God, the, the fruit of God's Spirit, all of the attributes of God are in you, but we discovered they're not really functioning so well in all of our lives. So it's not all come to the outside. And so our key scripture, if you have it back there, Romans 12, 2. And Romans 12, 2 is the key scripture here because it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Well, the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is the fruit of God's life in us that is to be shown on the outside, not just shown, but for others to be able to experience God through as we live our lives out around other people. That's one of the reasons he's left us here. But that's going to happen through the process of renewing our mind. We're not to be conformed to this world, which means we're not to allow the pressures of this world to make us look, talk, and act like this world, but instead we're to be transformed. And that word means to allow what's on the inside of you, that nature that's been birthed inside of you, nothing short of God's nature, to work its way to the outside. And what Paul's teaching us here is the process of doing that is by the renewing of your mind. And we'll talk in a few weeks from now about what renewing your mind means, but we're understanding, first of all, why this is so important. It's not just whether you live a healthy, happy, joyful life the rest of your life, and that is part of it, but it's whether God's will's done in your life or even in this earth. God's will being done in this earth is hinges on how well we are able to renew our mind because the only way God can, can demonstrate His good, perfect, and acceptable will is through the body of Christ, His body, and that's you and me. So this is very important for us to learn how to do that. In order to do the, to renew the mind, we have to discover, find out where it is. And obviously I'm not talking about being, you know, uh, facetious that it's in your head, but what, what, what God's intention in giving us the mind was. Because we, if you don't understand this, then you don't know why it's important to renew it. You don't even know how to get a hold of it, because most of us just get up and live our life. 
We get up in the morning and whatever your normal routine is, and we just kind of go out throughout the day and really don't think about how we're processing things. We don't think about how we're functioning. We just react to situations, or maybe in some cases we're ahead of it, and we're, 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 you're, you know, we're, we're guiding situations in our life, but we don't really think about what's going on. And if, and if we don't understand, there's a very, every day, there's a process that you're going through. There's a process of thinking that you're going through. There are forces that work on you. There are forces from the kingdom of God at work on you. There are forces from the kingdom of darkness at work on you. There are spiritual things going on in your life. And most of us go through a whole day completely ignorant of what's going on or why it's going on. So this is important to step back and understand and, ta- and discover what what our mind was given to us for because some Christians believe that if you think you're unspiritual and some Christians think that if you, you know, that, that, that everything is thinking. And so the answer is both of them. And so that's what we've begun to look at. So to do that, we've gone back and, dis- and, and taken a look at how man is made, how we're built up. And we saw that there are three parts to us, spirit, soul, and body that the spirit part of us is the real you, it's who you are on the inside. And when you were born again, that's the part of you that was born again. That's the part of you that was changed. That's the part of you that contains God's nature. That's the part of you that is God's child. That's the part of you that has the contact with the, with the eternal spirit realm of heaven and where God resides. That's heaven living in you is in your spirit and it's your real nature. And then we discovered that your spirit is living in a body, and we're all familiar with that is. That's the physical thing of mind you're looking at. That's the thing, part of you, you spend so much time dressing up, cleaning up, shaving up, you know, working up. We, work, we spend so much of our time thinking about, working about, worrying about this body because it is an essential part of this. But it's not everything. In fact, it's the least important part of you. And I want to start out with a slide that we went to a few weeks ago. And it's this one. Spirit is on the left, your body's on the right. And we talked about the fact that they have no natural contact with each other because your spirit is of the spirit realm. And the spirit realm is where heaven is, it's where God lives, and it is the eternal realm, and it is habited by spiritual spirit beings. Angels and demons are part of the spirit realm, they're just on the wrong end of it. And, and your body is of this natural realm. It came out of the dust of this earth. It is of this natural material realm. And aside from something supernatural happening, they have no natural interaction with each other. And so God gave you a third part called your soul, which is your personality. We'll talk a little bit more about what that is tonight. And that is a bridge between your body and your spirit because without that, they can't communicate with each other. God inside of you cannot work, and He needs to work through your body in order to accomplish anything in this natural material realm. And what we're going to learn in another week or so is Satan needs to work through your body in order to accomplish His will in this natural realm. So there's got a lot of pressure that's put on your soul, which is the part of you that's communicating back and forth between your spirit and your body. And so now what we're going to look at is we, we, ended, we talked last time about these three different parts of you. Spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is the real you. It's from the spirit realm. It's eternal. It's eternally strong. That's where God lives. Your body is the material realm. It's temporary. It's weak. And it's of the flesh. So when the, body talks of the, when the Bible talks about your flesh, it's talking about your body, its appetites, its inclinations, and all of those things. But you see in the middle, the question mark is because the soul doesn't belong to either one of those realms. 
but your soul is made up of three parts, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so we're going to begin to talk about that a little more detail tonight. Your soul. It's made up of your emotions. Well, we know what your emotions are. We talked a little bit about this last week. It's your feelings. It's fear. It's, it's, it's joy. It's peace. I mean, it's, all those are emotions. They can be, joy and peace can be states of your spirit, of your soul, but they can also be an emotion. So emotions are not bad or they're not really good. They have a very important purpose. We talked last week. It, the emotions are to your soul like your taste buds are to your body. Your taste buds help you to, to enjoy, it allows you to enjoy the food that you eat. It's part of life, and God wants us to enjoy things. God's not an old fuddy-duddy up in heaven saying, boy, he's got a big stick, so you better not enjoy yourself. He created Eden, which was a place of immeasurable joy, and then he released them into it, and he commanded them to enjoy themselves. So God's not against us enjoying things. What he's against is when that controls us. And so we've been, we have emotions, our soul has emotions, your feelings, the flavor of your life, and those are not just so that we can enjoy life, they're also a way of discerning things. Just as your taste buds are a way to discern whether some food's good or bad, and just as your nose is a way of discerning whether the food's good or bad, your emotions are a sign sometimes something's off. If you're irritable, if you're angry, most times, for instance, uh, anger is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, an emotion that usually covers something deeper. Usually anger is covering fear or something at a deeper level. But the point is it's a sign of something. And if I find myself angry, unduly angry or angry and I don't let go of it, or irritable, any of those emotions, at some point that's in a warning to me, wait a minute, you better go check and find out what's really going on inside. There might be something in the back of this refrigerator that ought to be cleaned out. There may be something that needs to be checked out. So we looked at that. That's your emotions. Then there's your will. We talked about that. That's the capacity that God gave you to, de- make de- to decide. In fact, that's the essence of... When, when the Bible says we were made in God's image, that's the essence of what makes us like God. It's the power to decide. Animals do not have that power. They can make little decisions, but they can't have the deci- power to decide their future. They can't have the de- pow- power to make moral decisions. They don't have the authority or the power or the capacity to do that. God gave that to us. He made us in His image. And when we talked about this last week, we saw that your will is the most important part of your soul because it's the part that determines what you're going to do and where you're going to go. And God can't change that and the devil can't change that. Now we're going to talk probably next time. They'll influence it, but the will is a part of your soul that they're after. And then, of course, the next part is your mind, your thoughts, your memories, your imaginations. And this, of course, is the part that we're going to learn how to renew. But we need to understand where that fits in your soul and what role that has in your soul. And that's what we're going to get into tonight, what role that that has in your soul. So, okay. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 1. Very familiar verses. Shouldn't be too hard to find. Go to your table of contents and turn right. And it's just what I talked about. Genesis 1.26 Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over all the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. All right. God made his greatest creation in his image. All the other things that God created, all the substance of the earth, all the animals, all the plant life, of none, no, nothing else that God created does it say He made it in His image. Only man did God make in His image. Now we're going to talk about what God's image is like a little bit, and just for a particular reason. I want to talk about the three parts of God. This is the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And now, for some of you, this may be new. It may almost sound a little bit like a heresy. The Trinity is a hard thing for our mind to grasp. It really is. And I've read theologians that do the very best they can because God is in three different parts, and yet they're all God. And that's a little hard for us to understand. The, only, the best analogy I can find, and it's not that I know of, and it's not complete, is... is, is uh, is moisture comes in three different forms. It's either ice, or it's water, liquid, or it's vapor. It's still water, and it can change from one form to the other. It's still water, it just manifests in different forms. The difference is, water doesn't have a personality. But God has a personality, and He has three personalities. God has the personality of Father, God has the personality of Son, and God has the most difficult one for us to understand. The Holy Spirit has a personality too. Because the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit having emotions. He can be grieved. He, can, he has emotions. And so, uh, uh, and, and so all three of them have personalities, and they can be a little bit different, yet they're all God. So it's one of those things that you try to understand, but don't ever expect to fully understand it. It's one of those things we just believe. And I suspect when we get to heaven... We can see it and understand it. But right now we just need to understand them, but also understand their roles and their functions. So all three of them, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all equally God, but they don't have equal authority and they don't have equal roles. They have separate and distinct roles and functions. So I want to talk for a moment about that tonight, and then I want to show you why that's so important. So the first one is the Father. He's the one, he is the one before everything else. Now, they've all existed forever. So it's not like this father existed before the son. But the father is the initiator. He is the source. It's his will that's carried out. He is like, if you look at, and we'll use this analogy, if you were to look at a, at a, at a, a king's palace, and you've seen them in movies and TV, I'm sure, and the king is the one that sits on the throne. Why? Because he's numero uno. It's His will that gets carried out. It's His kingdom. And in this case, it's His kingdom because He created it. And everything in the kingdom of God is done for His will and to satisfy His will and His desire. So God is the number one. He is, in fact, it's interesting because there's places where Jesus, for instance, Jesus, Jesus, at one point, someone comes to Him and says, Good Master. And Jesus stops and says, No. There's only one who's good, 
that's my father. Well, wait a minute. Jesus never sinned. He was perfect. How can Jesus say there's nobody good except me? Jesus saying my goodness comes from the father. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says in verse 3 that he is the outshining, that Jesus the Son is the outshining of the glory of the Father. Outshining means he radiates it out. The moon doesn't shine, the sun doesn't shine, doesn't come, the light you see on the beautiful moon, that doesn't come from the moon. That's the light of the sun that's reflected off of the moon. That's called reflected light. Jesus was not a reflection of his father's goodness. Jesus absorbed his father's goodness and then it came back out of him, kind of like the, the luminescence on, a, on the dial of a wristwatch. And so, so but, it, but the source of it is the father and Jesus understood that. Okay, then we have the son, Jesus. He is like the prime minister or he, or he is like the first agent of a king. He's the one that sits at the right hand in a kingdom an old kingdom, the king sat on the throne and his administrator, his prime minister, whatever he was called, sat at his right hand or stood at his right hand. Right hand represents authority and power. And so he stood or sat at his right hand and of course Jesus now sits where? At the right hand of who? Of the Father. But the one who sat at the right hand was like a prime minister. And the prime minister or the, uh, the, the chancellor or whatever he was called in the kingdom, he was responsible to find out what the king wanted done and the king didn't do anything. He just sat there and gave orders. In fact, he just gave general orders. Go conquer that nation. And the prime minister's responsibility or the, the, the chancellor's responsibility was to understand what the king wanted done and now he was responsible for going and carrying it out. And if something went wrong, he's the one that had to come and give an account back to the king. This is why when this went amok in Genesis chapter 3, the one that had to come and straighten it out was the son. Notice it says all things were created by him and all things were created through him and all things were created for him. The creation was done by the Father through the Son, and we'll talk in a minute about what the Holy Spirit's role is. And I'm spending time to go through this with you, first of all, because some of you may have never heard of this or thought of this before, but we're going to see the parallel when it comes over to the three parts of us. So this is, there's a connection here. So the Son in the kingdom of heaven is the one responsible. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians, and I think it's around 15 or somewhere in there, that says, when all these ages have ended... It's an amazing verse. A lot of people don't even see it in there. The Son is going to turn Jesus and He's going to hand all authority back to the Father. Why? Because what He was given that authority for has now been finished and accomplished. So He will give an account back to the Father for what He's done. Okay. So the Son is the second person in charge and He is responsible for carrying out the will of the Father. And now we have the third part of the Trinity, which is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a little harder to figure out because we can understand what a Father is, we can understand what a Spirit is, what a Son is, but what's a, what's a Spirit that's holy? I mean, it's hard to understand because when we think of spirits, we think of ghosts. And a ghost is not a spirit in this sense. A spirit is a real being that has real bodies, 
and in the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. And He is the agent through which the will of the Son, the directions of the Son are carried out. So that's why we read here in this, in this says, in verse 26, it says, let us make man in our image. How come it's talking plural? Because it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, if we went back to the beginning and looked at the very first verses of Genesis, it talks about the Spirit was hovering over the earth. And it's the Spirit is ready. He's the agent to physically carry it out. He's like the ar- king's army. The king says, we're going to go to war. We're going to declare war against this neighboring nation. The son now prepares a battle plan, hires, you know, appoints the generals. He arranges and administers all of that. But the army's the one that actually goes out and does it. So the father wills. The son is responsible for the whole thing. But the Holy Spirit's the physical agent that actually carries that will out. He's the power of God to implement that will in the earth or wherever it is. And so the Spirit of God was hovering over the earth. The Father had willed for the creation. The Son was about to speak, and the Spirit of God is hovering to carry it out. This is why when Jesus left and ascended into heaven, He said, I'm going to ask the Father, and He's going to send who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God's, Jesus has created His body here, but it's empowered the ability for the body of Christ to carry out the will of the Father can only be done through the agency and the power of the Spirit of God that created the earth to begin with. And what's happened is when the church doesn't operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's trying to do the will of the Father ordained by the Son in its own strength. And it's very limited in what it can do. So that's the order, that's the order of the, of, the, of the Trinity. The Father is the one, it's His will, it's His kingdom. The Son is responsible, the administrator, how this is carried out. But the Spirit is the actual physical agent by which this will is carried out. All right. Now let's move over to man. Because God created man, we just see here, we see God created man in His own image. Well, the image of the Father is three parts. And we've seen man has three parts also. Spirit, soul, and body. What we're going to see is when God created man, this is the way man, God designed him. This is the way God intended for man to be made. God gave him a spirit. Remember, he created the body. And then we saw last week, he breathed into his body in, Rome, in Genesis 2-7. He breathed into that first man. The breath, the life of God was breathed into him. And then it says literally in the Hebrew, he became a living soul. God took this body that he made out of the dust of the earth and breathed his own spirit into that body and he became a living being and a living soul. And so this first man was made in three parts also. And he had a spirit, was given a spirit, and that spirit was in perfect communion with God. He also gave him a soul. And his soul was responsible for carrying out the spirit's direction. Just as with the father, this is the same order, the same, the same function, the same roles in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was the same roles in the three parts of man. The Spirit was the presence of God within him and was in communion with God. 
the soul is the one responsible for figuring out how this was to be carried out. And then, of course, the body is the physical agent by which this is done. And so God's communion with this first man was spirit to spirit. The difference is there was nothing interfering because man was not conscious of his body. He didn't even know whether he had clothes on or not. He was not conscious of his body at all. He was totally conscious. His soul was totally focused on his spirit, which was in full communion with, with God, the spirit of God. But when he was told to go, remember how God says, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth? God gave him instructions, but didn't tell him how to, figure, how to do it, did he? He just says, you go do it. In fact, Adam named all the, all, the, all the animals and all the plants. He came up with the names, and he used his soul, his mind, to do that. So his mind, his soul, was helping to carry out the, 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 the direction and the rulership of the Spirit, which was God's presence within him. And his physical body was in complete obedience to what his soul was telling him to do. This is the way God designed man to operate, with his soul, with his spirit, which was the part of him from God, which was in dominion. It was, in, it was, it was the, knew the will of God and was in complete submission to the will of God. The soul was in, designed to help, that, to help figure out and plan how to carry that will out. And then the body was there to physically do that in the earth. Everybody with me so far? And if it ended there, we wouldn't even need church. But unfortunately, we have chapter 3 of Genesis. And now we're going to look at what happened. This is what Satan came in to do. Satan came in to throw that out of balance. Remember, he comes into the garden and he starts asking the woman. He says to her, has God said? She questions him. And she says, God said we shall eat of every tree of the garden except this one tree. And he says, has God really said that? And then when she keeps debating it with him, what he says to her, God's trying to rob you of something because God knows that if you eat of that tree, you'll be like him coming to know the difference between good and evil. In other words, Satan is suggesting to her that God is keeping something from her and what he's really after, because under the original order, man didn't question God, he just did whatever God said. That's why I've told you the reason God told them they could not eat of that tree was because God did not design man to handle the knowledge of good and evil on his own. And since God's the manufacturer, he knows the limitations of his creation. He only designed man to carry out his will because God understands the difference between good and evil. And if you have any question about that, just read the newspapers today and you'll see what kind of job we're doing with handling the knowledge of good and evil. Because every time one of these disasters happen where some shooting somewhere, they get on TV and say, we don't understand how this is happening. We don't understand. We need to pass laws to get rid of guns and do all this stuff because we don't understand why this is happening. It's clear why it's happening. Man's heart is sinful and wicked and cannot discern between right and wrong. So God came in, to dis- Satan came in to throw this out of order, and the way he came to throw it out of order was to tempt her to question God's commandment. Because he says, has, 
and I've told you this before, he worked with questions, and he'll work with questions with you if you listen to his questions. Has God said that? In other words, is that really what God means? And then once she entertained that question, he took it another level. He's just directly contradicted God. He says, God's lying to you. God knows something. He's holding something back from you. But how did she ever get to the place where she began to even doubt the, 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 the honesty and, and the integrity of God? She got to that place because she started to exercise her own independent thinking about something God commanded. And when she exercised her own independent thinking about what God commanded, she elevated her mind above her spirit. Understand this, and this is the pride of man. The pride of man has such confidence in our mind that when God says something, we're going to analyze what God said to decide whether we think he's right or not. I was reading this morning through in 1 Samuel where Saul did that. God commands them to utterly destroy all the Amalekites from the king on down, everybody. And Saul comes through with his army and they mostly destroy them except they keep the best of the sheep and they keep the king. And when Samuel comes and says, what have you done? He said, well, we have, uh, we have done exactly what God said. He said, well, what are the sheep I hear? Oh, 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 we saved those because we thought it would be a good idea to perform a sacrifice for God, which isn't what God said to do. So basically what he's saying is, we thought we had a good, you know, God's idea was great, but we had a good idea too. So together, God and I came up with a great idea. And that's the pride of man. But that's exactly what Satan brought into the garden. Where she went off was when she began to reason about something God just said, don't do. And that's where we go off too. Because what that's doing is I'm there, she was elevating her mind as an authority over her, over her spirit that God had put in her that had perfect knowledge of God's will. And here's the, here's the deception in that. And there's the deception that man's fallen into. Because the illusion is, and the lie of Satan is, if you bring your mind up to that point, your mind can figure all this out. But understand, God's plan is that the spirits be in dominion. The soul is given to you to serve whoever's in charge. The only role your soul has, is to, by God's design, is to figure out how to carry out the directions of whoever's in charge. And since the way God designed you, your spirit, which was in communion with God, was in charge, that's how it was to work. But here's the deception. We're going to go over. Here's what happens after the fall. The body's now ruling over man. Satan tempted her to think, if I, I've got to think and raise my mind up to analyze what God said. But the lie is... Your mind is not capable of ruling you. You're going to be ruled by your spirit or by your flesh. Your mind will figure out how to obey and carry out whoever's in charge. And the deception is, by my, I can elevate my mind and by thinking I can figure out a way out of this. By thinking I can make myself a better person. I can read the scriptures and apply them and make myself a better person. The soul 
carries out the will of whoever's in control, whatever's in control. So the deception to Satan that Satan brought in was by elevating your mind, you were going to make yourself like God. The reality is by elevating your mind, your flesh took over. And man's flesh has been in control ever since. And then what happened as a result of the fall is the spirit is now subservient to the body or basically has no voice at all. And this was man after the fall. This is how you were before you were saved. And this is what Jesus came to put back in order. Let me give you some scriptures. We've got time to kind of support this. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul has just finished talking about the church and God's intention for the church, that we're one body, one spirit. He talks about the gifts, the, the ministry gifts that have been given to the church so that we can all be edified to do the work of the ministry, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Then he talks about how the body uh, should no longer be tra- tossed around by every wind and doctrine, that we are to grow up together as one body, all joined together by the part that every part supplies for the building up of the body of Christ in itself in love. And then he goes on in verse 17 and says, This I say, therefore, and testify to you in the Lord, that you should no longer walk. Now, the New King James says, as the rest of the Gentiles walk, but most of the translations just say you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Gentile refers to somebody that is not, does not have a relationship with God, someone who's outside the kingdom of God, who's not a child of God. And so when it says, I testify that you should no longer walk, the word walk refers to conduct your life. I should, you should no longer walk or conduct your life, walk your life the way the Gentiles walk. And how is that in their mind, which is futile? The word futile means doesn't produce anything. In fact, it's more than that. It's not just futile. And this is what you can you see. When you're born again, you've got God's life inside of you. This process is reversed, and you can now see and understand things you couldn't understand before. But if you ever listen on television or when they're debating things, and they're trying to figure out any spiritual thing, or Hollywood tries to produce some spiritual thing, and they're going to mess it up every time because their eyes are darkened. They cannot understand the things of God. I've seen ministers on television, on Larry King and things like that, trying to explain biblical principles, and they're not going to get it because their eyes are blinded. It's a, something you see spiritually. You can't grasp it with your mind. I mean, one, I used to, before I got saved, I was spending hours at night going through my Bible because there was a hunger in me. I was trying to find out, and I had so much trouble reading that word. I couldn't understand that. And, and I was a lawyer. I could read the Internal Revenue Code. I could understand the laws, but I couldn't understand this. The night after I got saved, when I opened this Bible, all of a sudden it made sense to me. Why? Because the author was now living in me. It wasn't because my mind could understand more than it could understand before. This, my, the spirit, my spirit was now alive unto God, and it was now put back into that place of dominance. But before that, I was just like the world. In the futility of your, their mind, look at verse 18. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from, alienated, separated from the life of God. The life of God's the spirit separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. 
Then it goes on and talks about being past feeling and, and, and understanding, giving themselves over to lewdness, basically saying because they're operating in the futility of their mind, they've given themselves over to all manner of lewdness. In other words, their flesh is in control even though they're so smart. And such were many of us. So what did God do? What did God do? There are other scriptures we go on. It says, so God in, in, in saving us had to reverse this process. So let's go to Second Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. He's talking about Christians. So we don't look at each other according to the flesh. I don't look at you whether you're black, white, tall, short, old, young. We don't look at each other that way. That's the flesh. Even though we know Christ according to the flesh, yet we don't know Him that way any longer. If anyone's in Christ, that's you and me, He's a new creature, a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And all those new things are of God who has reconciled us to Christ, Himself through Christ Jesus. Well, when I was born again, my hair didn't become new. I suddenly didn't look younger. I may have looked happier. My body didn't change when I was born again. I still thought the same way. My mind didn't change. The part of me that changed was the spirit man. And so when I was born again, when I became in Christ, when you became in Christ, what happened is God brought His Spirit in you to make you alive inside the way the first Adam was alive inside, alive unto God. And when that happened... God now empowered your spirit to go back into the same place. This is after Christ has redeemed us now. Now your spirit, the spirit part of you has been restored to dominion. Now it's, it's a little confusing because it's not the same spirit you had before you were saved, but the spirit part of you now has the right to be in dominion because Christ gave us that right because He paid for the sin and he's the second Adam. So our spirits have been restored to having the dominion. Whether we exercise it or not, we'll get to. But you have the ability to be in dominion. Your spirit now is the, just like the first Adam. So that now we can be led by God the same way that Adam was led by God. That's we refer to it being led by the spirit. It's God's spirit through your spirit. The second thing is now our soul has the same functions. It's made to carry out the directions of whatever part of us is in charge. So now in a born-again person, now your spirit is designed, your soul is designed, so that it can carry out the directions of your spirit. And then, of course, the obvious next part is your body is the physical agent to carry that out, just the way it was in the original creation. So God's restored the order when you were saved. But what we're going to discover is the only part of you that changed was the spirit. Your soul didn't change when you were born again. Your mind, your will, and your emotions didn't change. You may have had different emotions, but they were not in control. And your body sure didn't change. It's still the same body. And so Romans 12.1 tells us that we are to make our, 
make our body a living sacrifice. So we're to present our body. Romans 6 talks about giving your body over to be serve, serving God. But, but the key here is this, and this is what we went through all of this for. God did the first part. God restored, gave you a brand new spirit that's born of Him, that has the authority and the dominion to rule you in line with God's perfect will. God did not change your soul. And He did not change your body. Your body's only going to change, other than may God may heal it, is only going to change when you leave it here and you get a new one when Jesus comes back for us. But the, your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions are the part that we're given to change. And that we're going to see why that is so crucial, why you are only transformed by renewing your mind, because your soul is the part of you to carry out God's will. So I'm sure you've all had the experience where you know what's right to do, you just don't do it. You choose to do something else. That was your soul still operating under the old guidelines of the old kingdom that was in you where it was trying to follow your flesh. This is why we've got to put our flesh under. This is why we've got to... Galatians talks about the body warms against the spirit and the spirit warms against the body so that you can't just do the things that your flesh wants to do. There's a war going on in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. He's talking about Christians. So we don't look at each other according to the flesh. I don't look at you whether you're black, white, tall, short, old, young. We don't look at each other that way. That's the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet we don't know Him that way any longer. If anyone's in Christ, that's you and me, He's a new creature, a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And all those new things are of God who has reconciled us to Christ, Himself through Christ Jesus. Well, when I was born again, my hair didn't become new. I suddenly didn't look younger. I may have looked happier. My body didn't change when I was born again. I still thought the same way. My mind didn't change. The part of me that changed was the spirit man. And so when I was born again, when I became in Christ, when you became in Christ, what happened is God brought His Spirit in you to make you alive inside the way the first Adam was alive inside, alive unto God. And when that happened, God now empowered your spirit to go back into the same place. This is after Christ has redeemed us now. Now your spirit, the spirit part of you has been restored to dominion. Now it's, that's a little confusing because it's not the same spirit you had before you were saved, but the spirit part of you now has the right to be in dominion because Christ gave us that right because He paid for the sin and He's the second Adam. So our spirits have been restored to having the dominion. Whether we exercise it or not, we'll get to. But you have the ability to be in dominion. Your spirit now is the, just like the first Adam. So that now we can be led by God the same way that Adam was led by God. That's we refer to it being led by the Spirit. It's God's Spirit through your spirit. The second thing 
is now our soul has the same functions. It's made to carry out the directions of whatever part of us is in charge. So now in a born-again person, now your spirit is designed, your soul is designed, so that it can carry out the directions of your spirit. And then, of course, the obvious next part is your body is the physical agent to carry that out, just the way it was in the original creation. So God's restored the order when you were saved. But what we're going to discover is the only part of you that changed was the spirit. Your soul didn't change when you were born again. Your mind, your will, and your emotions didn't change. You may have had different emotions, but they were not in control. And your body sure didn't change. It's still the same body. And so Romans 12.1 tells us that we are to make our, make our body a living sacrifice. So we're to present our body. Romans 6 talks about giving your body over to be serve, serving God. But, but the key here is this, and this is what we went through all of this for. God did the first part. God restored, gave you a brand new spirit that's born of Him, that has the authority and the dominion to rule you in line with God's perfect will. God did not change your soul, and He did not change your body. Your body is only going to change, other than may God may heal it, is only going to change when you leave it here and you get a new one when Jesus comes back for us. But the, your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions are the part that we're given to change. And that we're going to see why that is so crucial, why you are only transformed by renewing your mind, because your soul is the part of you to carry out God's will. So I'm sure you've all had the experience where you know what's right to do, you just don't do it. You choose to do something else. That was your soul still operating under the old guidelines of the old kingdom that was in you where it was trying to follow your flesh. This is why we've got to put our flesh under. This is why we've got to... Galatians talks about the body warms against the spirit and the spirit warms against the body so that you can't just do the things that your flesh wants to do. There's a war going on in you between your spirit and your body and your soul is the part that decides which one's going to win. So this is why it's important that we get our soul under control beginning to serve our spirit so that God's will can be carried out through us, God's blessings can be carried out through us, just as it was in the garden, the way God originally designed us. So the soul, because it's made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions, the soul is the place we're going to begin to function. And what we're going to look at next time is your soul is a place where the battle goes on. And I'm going to get you a little, into a little bit of this tonight and introduce it to you. So the effect of our salvation is that our spirit was born again from above. God came into our spirit, made us alive, a new creation. We're created again like the first Adam, the ability to rule our soul and body. But our soul and body were not changed. We are now in the process of bringing our mind into the state of salvation that happened instantly when our spirit was born again. Your rebirth of your spirit happened in an instant, the moment Christ came in you. But your soul is a process of changing it, and it's a lifelong process. And what we're going to learn is this. 
Wherever you were in the process of your walk in life with your soul, you may have been raised in a family that was all Christian. They loved God. You were raised in church. And so you were walking along life. And although you weren't born again, you're just walking along in life. And all you come to this place where you realize, I need to give my life to Christ. And you turn around where you are, and now you start renewing your mind. You start getting your soul going in the direction to cooperate with the Spirit of God that's in you along this way. But suppose you were not raised in that kind of atmosphere. You were raised in a family that was dysfunctional, never went to church. Your, your parents were all, you know, either backslidden or they were ever was. You had no church influence in you all, and you just went along with the course of this world the way Romans, uh, 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 Ephesians 2 talks about. We went along with the course of this world, and you were way down here, and hell was right over here, and you were not very far from it. And God got a hold of you. And you repented and turned around. Well, guess where you start this journey here? You don't start the journey where that other person started it. You started here. And so God's not going to compare your journey with that person's journey. Because you don't start in the same place. You, gotta start, you start this journey of renewing your mind where you are. So you have to, you, this is why you can't look at other people. You can't compare yourself to other people. You can't say, well, brother so-and-so, oh, they just are doing... But you don't know what their journey is. You don't know. You've got to start where you are. Because that's the devil, one of the devil's main tricks is to get us looking around at everybody else and comparing ourselves to everybody else instead of working on renewing our mind. You just turn around because the word repent means you turn around. You turn around right where you are and now you start this journey because although your spirit was instantly changed then, you start this journey of changing your soul, and the way you change your soul is by renewing your mind, and it's a lifelong journey. And in the process of this, you're in, your soul is in the middle of a battle between your spirit and your body. Your body still wants to act the way it always acted. Your body's still trying to get back in dominion because it does not like the fact that it's not in dominion anymore. And your spirit's quiet. Your spirit will not force itself because God's spirit in you and your spirit is a gentleman or gentlewoman, but it's not forceful. This is why one of the ways to discern whether it's God's voice or the voice of the devil, God's voice is usually soft and gentle. Now, there are times I've had God speak out loud to me once and I never want to hear it again. I came up short and I heard an authority in that voice I don't want to hear again. But most of the time it's just an inner knowing, it's an inner working. But the voice of Satan talking to your mind, and by the way, he talks to your mind. He can't talk to your spirit. He doesn't have access to your spirit. He talks to your mind, and he'll, he'll annoy at you, he'll, he'll, he'll condemn you, he'll pepper you, he'll prod you, he'll push you, he'll try to force you. So you need to learn the difference, the discernment. But the point here is this. This process is happening by renewing our mind. And the reason renewing our mind is important because your mind is the key part of your soul. It's not the most important part of your soul, but it's the part of your soul that operates on what's going to happen. And we'll learn more about that next time. But your soul... We want to get our soul to the point where it's learning to discern God's will and it's learning to submit to God's will. And if your soul will begin to submit to God's will, your body has to follow out. It, it loses out two to one. It has to follow out. And that's the process of maturing as a Christian. Baby Christians are just like the first slide. They're still ruled by their body. 
So they're ruled by their emotions. They're ruled by what's happening around them. If things are, if it's a bright sunny day and everything's going well, you know, and, and the dog smiled at them and brought the paper in and the cat curled up in your lap and the kids kissed you when they went out the door and the boss smiles at when you come in and your husband says to you, oh, I love you and I got flowers for you. And you're just so happy that day. And the next day you wake up and those things don't happen and now everything's falling apart, then you're most likely being ruled by your body, by your flesh. We're blown around Paul says here, by every wind of doctrine. And that's not just doctrine. It's situations of life. And unfortunately, that's where so many Christians are. They're up one day, down one day. They're here one day. They're back and forth. It all is determined by their circumstances around them. And what's really controlling them is how their flesh is impacted by that. But the process of maturing as a Christian is the process by which we begin to be dominated by the spirit part of us. And that's only going to happen as our soul begins to renew to the Word of God, and our soul is the key element here in taking control of our will and getting our will to submit to what God wants to do. And that's what we're here to learn. That's We've just discovered tonight where your mind is. Your mind is in your soul, and your mind is what influences what your will does. We'll learn next week that, you know, there are books written out of there, the, battle, the battlefield of the mind. That's not technically correct. The battlefield, that's correct. The battlefield is in your mind, but the battle's not for your mind. The battle's for your will. But what you think strongly affects what your will will do. God wants to operate through your will, and Satan wants to operate through your will. And neither of them can reach in and push a button and control your will. They both have to have access to your will, to influencing your will through your mind. And God handles it very differently than the way Satan handles it. So renewing our mind is very, very important for this process of, of getting our lives in adjustment to the way God's already done his part. But our part now is to be transformed. And I hope you can understand why the transforming, the change God made is in your spirit. But the process of bringing it to the outside, which is your body, happens through the operation of your soul. And it happens through the process of the mind part of your soul which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Amen? Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. for all, We've heard a lot of material tonight. And Father, we just pray tonight that out of all of this, you would bring us to a place of understanding. Help us to be more aware as we go through this week of our spirit, of our soul, and of our body. Help us to discern the difference between the voices of our body and the voices of our spirit. Help us to, discern, to be aware of where, what is influencing us at any given time so that we may begin to be prepared, Father, to be led by our spirit, to renew our mind, to identify our mind, so that as we take the word of God and we renew our mind to it, that the process that you've ordained through your word will begin to work in our lives. And for that, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen.